Welcome to the Church of Mavis radio show. It's Friday night. It's uh, 7.07 p.m. Central. We got uh, Jay McNicholas here with us tonight. How's it going, Jay? Going good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, and uh, tonight is Patricia Corey, the new Syrian Revelations, Galactic Prophecies from the Sixth Dimension uh, from Bear and Company, uh, a sacred planet book. Uh, always great to work with them. Uh, great to have you here, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, too. Thanks for having me back on. Been a long time. Yeah, it has. I can't believe it's 17 years of doing this. Like, gosh. And uh, the first reason, just to give you a little background so you were more comfortable talking about these subjects, is the main reason we do this show is because uh, I had a lot of crazy experiences happened to me after going through testicular cancer when I was 17 and chemo. And then a few years later or so, my dad passed away and I started to have light being weird uh, encounters where I saw light beings in the heavens and see, seen some here in Florida leaving my house as if they were in the house and flew into the heavens. Uh, and also UFO kind of stuff, uh, seeing things in the sky and some strange beings. And it led me to doing this show and uh, when I first started doing it, I had trouble getting some interviews and then had said a prayer and had another weird UFO sighting. And then the next thing you know, I was like on the phone with Santon Friedman, like and uh, do it, you know, Nick Pope and Nick Redfern, William Burns, all the people from that I usually like saw on TV. Suddenly I was interviewing them and it kind of seemed like there was a synchronicity there. I was like, did aliens hook this up? It felt like that sort of. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the main reason we're here is to try to figure out all this this weirdness. And I guess if you could, what what's a little background that started you on the journey of all this high strangeness with aliens and Syrians? So when I was four years old, I walked. My mom said I walked into the kitchen. I came out I, out from the garden. She I had a fork in the tall grass. We lived up in the hills of San Jose, California. And uh, I came into the kitchen and I said, you know, mom, I'm, I'm, she, she was cooking. She said, I almost dropped the pan of sauce because I said, you know, mom, I'm, I'm really not from this dimension. I'm from a parallel reality, but you're, you're not ready to hear that right now. So we'll talk about it some other time. And I walked back out. So four-year-old kid, which, you know, at the time it wasn't the lingo that's currently being entered about. It was the fifties, you know? old part so uh as far back as then i, I had um, col uh, contact with beings that were feeding me all this information and over my lifetime as a clairvoyant i've i've have been walking between the i call it walking between the worlds and uh around 19 years old i had another big breakthrough but it was um when i went to the crop circle. My first crop circle was in uh, 1997, and I went into the Julius set, which was the breakthrough crop circle at the time. And uh, I was there for a, a course a, a, in color therapy. And I had a dream that I was flying over Stonehenge, and I saw this spiral in the in the field next to it. And I was awakened by a voice that said, pay attention. This is a lock on point for interdimensional contact. And it's going to be very important for you. Wake up. So to make a long story short, I shared this with the uh, professor 
He said, that's the new crop circle. He said, I said, okay, talk to me. What is a crop circle? Uh, I'm not clear now on that. And he did. And uh, he said, you need to get into that crop circle. So when I did, he took me there, which was phenomenal. And when I got into the crop circle, I went on a journey, the journey of my lifetime. And asked, let's call it an astral journey. For two hours, I was out of body. And, and when I came back, I had uh, experienced this contact with these beings, the Syrian High Council. And that was 25 years ago. And the information started flowing through. And, and it's 14 books later. And I'm still here. What, what can you tell us as a little uh, precursor to the, the Syrians uh, for our audience and us? So the among the many people that are channeling different uh, bodies of ET or extra-dimensional beings, the Syrians identify themselves as being six-dimensional, uh, non-physical beings, and that there's a body of them that are concerned like the Galactic Federation, there's a body of these non-physical beings that are concerned with the galactic, the, the physical universe on a whole, but particularly this realm of space where we are because of the going on. You know about the photon belt, the fact that we moved into this very active uh, place in space, I'm sure. But uh, the Syrians have been concerned with Earth events since the seeding of our planet by beings that were directed by the Syrian High Council. So six-dimensional beings working at, uh, working with 12 uh, species of ETs, advanced ETs that seeded Homo sapiens. Are you familiar with that uh, hypothesis? Yes, I've heard, I've heard I've heard similar things, yes. Okay, so the theory that comes through a lot of my books, and even in the new book, uh, it, it, it always comes back to this um, understanding that we were seated by these beings as 12-stranded, highly developed, highly Christed species being nested on one of the most beautiful pieces of real estate in space. And that those 10 of those strands were disrupted when we were interfered with. It's a very long to explain, but basically a short story. We were interfered with uh, the Anunnaki, the story of the Anunnaki and how they interfered with the evolution of this evolves is uh, under underpins a lot of the work that I bring through in my books and a lot of the information that the Syrian High Council wants to share with humanity. So what, have you visually seen them or do you know what their appearance is? And I'm always trying to figure out who these glowing people are that I see all the time. I've heard deceased loved ones, shamanic luminous beings, aliens, angels. I just know I saw them with my naked eye sober and they were glowing people. And that's what, so I'm always like trying to figure out what the heck that was. But what do we know about the Syrians, like appearance wise? I love the fact that you said sober. <laughs> uh, the Syrians are not physical forms. They're, they're, they're bright or like light. They, they do not, they have not retained the memory of their physicality, which is, I believe, 
in, in certain stages of ascension and evolution, when we leave the physical dimension, we still retain the memory of that physical form. That's why a lot of people who see spirits still see the, the character that this spirit held in physical reality. But the Syrians in the sixth dimension are simply light beings, just, just formless light. <clears throat> That's interesting. I'm it's all Syrian dudes leaving my house. <laughs> yeah, possible. I mean, you know, I've also had encounters not with alien beings, but I've had craft over my house many times in my life. But uh, the Syrians, when they're present, the whole house lights up. It's, it's something else. And that's a lot of my experiences where you see UFOs over the house and I've had friends go, Jeffrey, you're attracting them here. And I've seen some other types of beings that I don't think I've ever been like taken, like abducted. If so, I don't remember a damn thing about it at all. But as far as there's been definitely weird stuff where it seems like they're over your house for you not to be egotistical or i don't go on the whole i'm the chosen one or whatever that tirade but i mean i've had experience where it seems like they're there for you or someone in the house and then you see them you know well i have a story i'll tell you i when i was living in italy i was in my office writing uh, and uh the computer started going up and down and and uh I yanked the cord out of the computer so they, it wouldn't blow up. And the lights in the house were going to this extreme brightness that they, the lamps had never exhibited. And then crashing down, back up and back down and up and down. And I just ran outside, grabbed my dog, ran outside to the, to the gate, which was quite far from the house. And I was watching the house because I had just bought the house and I was afraid it was going to blow up. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I'm looking at it. So it was right out of, you know, a sci-fi movie. I'm, I'm at the edge of the, my, my plot of land looking at the house going, oh my God, what's going to happen? And my neighbor had a very high hedge that I couldn't see her. And she said, Patricia, what is it? UFO? And I went, what? She goes, look up. And I swear I had not been looking up. I had had this protect the house vision. To make a long story short, over directly over my house, there was uh, there were, there was more than one crap. There was haziness that was particularly over my house, over the neighborhood, I, I would imagine. And the colored lights, um, close encounter, the third kind situation. What's important about this story is the next day we heard that the man that was in the other side of my property, my other neighbor, his television blew up. What was happening in jail, jail. He went to the hospital because he had fragments of glass in. Oh. And at that time, I, I thought that I was seriously going to be taken. I really did. In fact, I remember thinking, are they going to let me bring the dog? <laughs> Which is kind of a bad statement for my boyfriend because I didn't think, are they going to let me bring the boyfriend? I was thinking, can I they're going to let me take my Seriously thought a little, something was going to happen where a door was going to open and I was going to be crap. And it's, you know, it's an interesting question because I love to have this conversation with ET people. It's like, 
would you go or not? And at that moment, I thought, yeah, I would go. Would you? Uh, it would for me. It would depend on the situation, but um, more than likely, if if I got a good vibe from them, yeah. If I didn't, if it, you know, it's like the you know uh, stepping into a stranger's car. You're gonna you're gonna be coming back <laughs> once you get into that car. Uh, that's the that's the hard that's the hard question to answer. So, well, you'd have to. Be, I think that if you if you said yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. It would have to be with the understanding you might not or probably would not be coming back. You know, yeah, that like, makes the question hard. Yeah, you gotta, I gotta know if I'm coming back or not. <laughs> but you know, in the state of the the planet as it is right now, it's a hard question to answer. I don't know if we'll ever have to face that issue. But in that moment, I certainly thought that we would be facing that issue. I know recently I saw that movie Jules, J U L E S. That's really good if you get a chance. It's got Ben Kingsley and an alien crashes in his backyard, and they deal with some of these questions. It's actually pretty good. It, it, it's kind of it's heartwarming, but it's just called Jules, J U L E S. But I, I would be hesitant. I think there's some of those aliens that might make us into soup, like some of those Skinwalker Ranch aliens. Not to say they all want to eat us, of course. I don't believe that, but I would definitely be hesitant uh, for sure. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, when we're talking about physical beings, it, I have this conversation quite a lot. It's like the the council are not physical beings like beings. They're extra dimensional versus extraterrestrial uh, beings. And when, where you've got extraterrestrial, physical beings, you've got polarity. So, you know, the question of, Dark and light aliens. We, we I, I feel comfortable saying there's certainly a lot of dark uh, ET energy in, interfacing with this planet at this moment. But we also have a lot of overriding uh, extra-dimensional beings that are hopefully ready to reach out and, and uh, give some support here. I know you speak about the secret government and some kind of alien event, and I've heard different things over the years about it. Uh, I definitely, uh, not to get into this too deeply because I'll start ranting about it, that Skinwalker Rant show is some of the craziest stuff I've seen on TV, and not just because they're definitely getting phenomenon there, but there's just so many government spooks there. That's what makes it more creepy than anything. Like They end the show at a round table with like, former Bigelow people, state attorney generals, and just, it's a spook fest, you know? Then they had that whole Beyond Skinwalker Ranch show with uh, Chris Bledsoe summoning those UFOs. And then if you look up his book, UFO of God, it's in the Christian section, like five-star reviews, and everybody's under it going, we're having these experiences too. And some of the experiences he's had, I've had some similar happen, and I've actually asked him to move and stuff like that and had it happen. I don't think I could go out there right now and have that kind of stuff like I used to back in the, the older days. But uh, I just think it's alarming that show that something's up. I mean, they basically just ended a season saying there's an alien base there that they can't penetrate with a drill. Like it's definitely. And then beyond Skinwalker Ranch, they're going to all these ranches with former CIA personnel and all the ranches are having similar activity. So it makes you, I mean, I definitely think there's stuff going on that's paranormal, but you also get paranoid when it comes to government stuff when they're like blatantly on the show at a level I've never seen with this kind of stuff ever on TV. 
Well, it's just like, you know, you have all the decades of production report, and you know that a certain percentage of them are taking people and uh, drugging them and then enacting, this is my humble opinion, enacting in, in uh, abduction. But the fact that they are appearing on these shows, I don't have television, so I, I, I don't get, unless I purchase it um, as a video, I don't see all the stuff. But um, I have seen some, some Skinwalker Ranch stuff on YouTube, and it does look to me like it's part of soft because as you said, all the books there, it's just like, you know, the time of, of disclosure as they want to present it is upon us. So most likely it's all part of the, you know, I mean, these guys have got dark campaign marketing people. This is a planned operation for decades now. And I think that, you know, they're, they're really messing with our heads because they have to control the narrative. There's definitely a lot going on with it. I know when I had a lot of my UFO sightings in Georgia, there was a silent type craft that came over my house that was kind of like a helicopter with no propellers that made no noise. And a guy dressed up and looked like military sort of stuff waved kind of mockingly and it shot off and made no noise. That's wow. the closest I've ever come to them. None of them's ever come to me face to face. There was one time someone put a weird $2,000 credit on my phone after I said I was going to turn it off. And it seemed like maybe some kind of agency did it so they could keep like I pay the bill and they can keep listening. And the only thing interesting I was doing was a show about that kind of stuff. So there's been weird little things, but never any face to face kind of thing. I know recently we've had the Las Vegas kind of UFO weird thing where people said they saw the, the aliens. Uh, yeah. We had the, the south american weird one where that was just very strange about you know uh people getting hacked up and they said it was like uh miners with jetpacks or something and then you had the and i don't know if any of this stuff's true that all seems kind of weird then you had the whole <clears throat> what was it, the miami alien thing that seemed like a lot of weird crap but it's still weird i didn't really buy into there were aliens walking around the mall, but it seemed weird that there were so many cops there, like something. Yeah, there's, there's, like a shoot, there's a sudden shootout with cops and the, and the aliens. I, I think if that had happened, there'd be a lot of laser holes. Well, you know, the first that people should be asking about Miami is how come 77 or 100 cop cars managed to be at this mall at the time of the three-minute event? It's so bogus, it's ridiculous, right? It's like, you know, it, tell me that this this event unfolded and there were of cops on hand would be credible because, you know, the entire Florida fleet of cops is at this mall shutting down the airport, helicopters. It was just to me. As far as the biggest uh, thing, my question is, so I have a real beef with the cell phone. I, I I just hate the cell phone. It's their tool, and it's destroying minds. It's eating up brain cells. Everybody has their cell phone in their hand twenty four seven, especially young the the young. And you mean to tell me that they saw three aliens in their backyard and nobody got any pictures or video footage? Yeah. All those seem kind of like weird psyops, especially the South American one, or all of them. And all those cops, 
you know, who's to say DeSantis didn't plan something for a distraction? Someone said that. See what Congress is passing that day after something like that happens. And we have DeSantis down here. He's like a South American weird dictator dude or something. But uh, always trying to mess with the weed for medicinal, like trying to lower it. Like, that's too high. The THC, we're going to lower it. It's like, we're just... <laughs> but uh, all of it seems kind of weird. But when it comes to the government doing something with this, what do you, where do you think that's headed? Is it? I mean, because you think about Phoenix Lights and Stevensville, Texas, there's been these weird UFO psyops that seem like they could be military just, you know, messing with people. I don't know if Phoenix Lights was aliens, but I, I mean, maybe, but maybe not either. <laughs> but there's a lot of weird stuff with psyops definitely going on always. It seems. Well, a lot of people think Phoenix Lights was a holographic. Uh, test. I don't know about Phoenix Lights. It, it certainly looked convincing to me, but you know, the, the, the obvious question here is the technology they have now is so absurd. They can project. Well, we can see somebody talking and believe that it's the person talking. They have the ability now to completely alter the audio and even the video of a human being or, or anything else. My approach is at the moment is just trust nothing, trust nothing that you see. And what I, I ask is, in the case of media, what am I being shown and what am I supposed to be feeling? And I think that we, we are being shown that a, uh, a definite um, soft disclosure, they're getting ready for the big one. And my question is, I've been having this conversation with, with people like you. It's, um, if they can control disclosure, if they can um, create a false event, what if they create, instead of an, invas an invasion of, a, of evil alien attack on, on Washington, D.C., what if they create a friendly ET landing the, the likes of Captain Kirk on a good day, right? Won't have the same polarizing effect as one that's, I mean, even even Reagan said it several times, uh, you know, if there was some sort of external threat to the planet, we would unite. And whether that external threat is a, is a you know, an anonymous rock that's been, you know, floating through space that's going to hit the Earth, or it's a, an invading force from another galaxy, or another uh, even another universe, uh, it, it won't have the same polarizing effect um, as as a, as a violent effect. A, a good a good a good event uh, likely would have you know the exact opposite effect. That people would not believe it. But uh, an event where they're coming here to hurt up, hurt us or take our planet from us, yeah, everybody's going to get behind that. And, right. and now you have global global um, uh, global governing. But what if the good event is a fake good event and this so-called Let's say that let's say that a couple of ETs step over craft, very human-like with their masks on, and uh, present conditions. In other words, Captain Kirk, let's use this as a as a metaphor, comes out of a craft and says, "You know, we're here to help you. We've come to uh, prepare the human race to enter the Galactic Federation. There are going to be some rules and some things you're going to have to." <laughs> And we're going to be working with governments in order to uh, help prepare the, the population for this evolution. You get my point? 
if they can control this, if it's a false flag fake out, I, I, I would rather see an attack situation so that we know what we're dealing with versus a hypothetically friendly ET arrival that may be friendly. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I, I don't think that a good false flag event is going to polarize the people into getting behind one idea or concept. So you want, if you want, uh, if you want to get towards global uh, governments, global currencies, and global rule, you, you have to be able to rally the people behind one concept. And right now we can't do that. That's why we have conflict in Ukraine and Russia and Israel and Gaza Strip and Hezbollah and Hamas and all that. Uh, so, it, yeah, the the false flag event, they've been talking about that for a long time. I, and I'm not I'm not convinced that's going to happen. I don't I'm not convinced it's going to work. Uh, and then they're, they're all talking about disclosure. I've been investigating this since I was 11 years old. And I, they've been every, you know, half decade. They say, well, we're going to tell you guys something. And then they release, you know, five pages of, of, of paperwork with, you know, three visible lines on it. I'm not convinced that any of this is anything near uh, partial or full disclosure. Uh, the, the, the entities involved in this in this planet have been involved in this planet for hundreds of thousands of years. We're not certain how long. Zechariah Shipson says 450,000 years. Some researchers say millions of years. Uh, some even may indicate that the that, that the this at least the solar system we're in was was also even created by a particular race. Of, of creatures and and that's that goes back four and a half billion years so we don't have the full story i think a good bit um almost all of the story is either uh well com compartmentalized throughout the u.s government and only certain people know the whole story but i'll bet the, the, the bulk of the information is underneath the vatican in their secret archives i'll, I'll bet you if you're able to get down in there and and without restriction go through every book and piece of paper they have in their secret archive i bet you five bucks you get 99 percent of the story that what happened to this planet in the past we probably find out what happened to the asteroid belt which was once a planet and is now gone um i think we'd have clarity on at least the war in heaven which is also called the war between heaven and earth or the war between heaven and hell and people think oh hell is like a you know the place where the devil hangs out i think hell is earth I think Earth is the place where, if you follow at least the Norse mythos, hell is the realm of hell. Thor's sister, who is, um, she's basically the god of the, the, those people who died not in battle. So people who died of natural causes or people who had a heart attack or what have you, walking down the street, hit by a horse, <laughs> died of their injuries. Hell is where those entities go, and I think that's what Earth is. Because uh, hell is an actual one of the nine... I think one of the actual nine realms they talk about in, in as far as the the places in the, in the North mythos is Asgard, uh, Midgard, that's here, et cetera, and so forth. So that's just my take on the whole disclosure thing. I don't think we're going to find anything new or exciting out that we haven't known for the last 70 years already. Those congressional hearings have been pretty interesting. Yeah, I was, kept that was, that. Very interesting, but I don't feel confident anything's going to come good out of it. I mean, when you when you've got people in in Congress talking about alien beings, uh, it just seems like it's ramping up to the point where it's it's not going to slip back into the background. But we'll see. 
You'll because, see that there's going to be some event that they're going to push on the news that's going to take those congressional hearings. And you're already beginning to see it. Those congressional hearings are still worth still talking about because that's what we're interested in. That's what we research. But, you know, Joe, the plumber out there across the street from me who's watching, you know, WWE wrestling, he, if you he heard about it at all, he probably doesn't care anymore. <laughs> it's been that long. You remember in V, the series, did y'all see that with the reptilians come down dressed in red? It was on NBC, and they made figures for it, and they came down. It was like, I forget, in the 80s, wasn't it? And, yeah, it was uh, the 80s, yeah, mid-80s, 83, 84, uh, something. I was in high school. It was a friendly approach. We're your friends. Yay, V for the, uh, v for the visitors. And then next thing you know, they're herding us up and turning us into soup. Okay. <laughs> But that V the series is actually pretty good. It had Robert Robert England was a reptilian in it. But they all, when they first appeared at first, they all you know had masks on as humans, and they said they needed water from us, and that's why they were here. But it turned out as they went inside, they were you know eating everybody. But that's what I was they were just looking talking for about. Food, yeah. The soft. Uh, it's, it's also a very similar similar uh, plot line for the Zeta Reticulum star system. Um, how they met the Greys. And I've heard the story versed both ways that it was the Greys who are in charge of Zeta Reticuli, and that the other version is that the Plehirans or the, those who call themselves uh, on Earth the Anunnaki. Well, they don't call themselves the Anunnaki. We call them the Anunnaki here on Earth. Uh, where allegedly they had several planets within the Zeta Reticuli star system to meet the Greys. The Greys tell them, hey, we're your friends. Um, our planet is running low on resources like water, like gold, whatever they're you know running out of. And they made friends with the with these people in the Zeta Reticulum star system who were, uh, they were capable of intra, or I'm sorry, interstellar travel. They could go between their two solar systems, and that's about the, the length of their, their travel, which is still pretty far, uh, further than we could actually travel at the moment. But uh, the Greys made themselves friends of these people in the Zeta Reticulum system, and then slowly, it was like a kind of like a fifth column takeover slowly revealed their real intentions were as to actually did, it was a hostile takeover in the forms of, you know, like uh, one of those proverbs uh, that, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. You know, I think so, that's what we're looking at. We're at least looking at part of that. Some of the entities that are in, in, involved in this planet, they're, they're hiding, they're hiding their, their, their presence. They don't care if they get seen. They just don't want to be overtly seen. Uh, but for whatever reasons, they require some sort of stealth uh, of not being, you know, completely known to the populace of this planet. And uh, Patricia, I know we were you talked about the evolution of our species in the ascension process. And uh, what is it going to, to 4D? Is it a, a 5D? Or if you want to get into that some to tell us, I'm just mostly trying to figure out too what are some of your sources saying about what's happening right now? I mean, everything just seems like we're just about to have nuclear holocaust almost every day, like the doomsday clock. And just every day there's new, I have to look at political war crap every day at my job. And it's just like every day seems to get a new level of fear of all yeah. hell breaking loose. I'm just kind of curious about the evolutionary process and ascension and also about what's going on and what they're saying. Well, the Syrians are saying and have been that in this, moment where we hear more and more people talking about being being five-dimensional beings and having ascended to the fifth dimension. They're saying, hold on a minute here. You know, what happened to the fourth dimension? Why are you over jumping over the fourth? And they 
distinction that's in prominent in the new book is that, and actually this book, I want to preface this by saying this book isn't a brand new. It came out in 2018 and the publisher, the, the new publisher said, we need to reissue this book because it's, it's so prominent at, at this time on the planet. So it's a reissue with a bit of an update. So the book has a lot of information about 4D and how, no, we're not gonna leap over 4D, we're going to move through it and we are actually slipping out of 3D and moving into 4D now, which is one of the reasons why, well, main reason why so many people are feeling time slipping, completely morphing because the, the according to the council, which is not necessarily in accordance with other, with like other uh, the scientific approach that, or a physicist, physicist approach, but according to them, 4D is timeless. <coughs> and they also say very, very strongly that in this process of slipping into 4D, which, which we are doing now, we still retain such a consciousness of 3D that we don't still recognize that we're in this other dimension. It still looks very much like 3D, still, but you know, I'm sure you'll agree, you can, you can feel time morphing. And the way that they describe it is, it's like a room full of um, treadmills, the, the space-time continuums, like a room, a gym full of treadmills, and they're going at different speeds, and some of them are slipping back or forward. And you know, you're 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 walking on this treadmill, and you look at the guy next to you, and he's going backward. And it's because the space-time continuum is starting to uh, go into a, a disruptive aspect in our consciousness as we move away from 3D structure and time and the illusion of time and move forward into 4D timelessness. And they also say, and this is probably an interesting thing for discussion here, is that in 4D, we face the karma of the entire civilization of all time on this planet. So not only do we face our own karma in 4D, and the Syrians say your karma will be in front of you, your shadow will be in front of you, not behind you. And you will you will be faced with your karma front and center. And the karma, the collective karma of all civilization on this planet. And I think that that may be very much be one of the reasons why everything is blowing up all over in every level every level of our society, civilization is blowing up. It's, it's, it's disruption of all the, the paradigms, all of the structures, convention, you name it, it's all unraveling. Uh, so yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a very interesting time to be alive, I'll tell you that. Definitely, yeah, and yeah. the way the way you described how the universe is, uh, like as far as the time timeline and time space continuum with the the treadmills, uh, I have to agree with you. I, and using your example, you use Star Trek. I use Star Trek all the time as an example on the show. But 
there's a show called Sliders, which was very good. Uh, John Reese Davis was in it, and uh, well, did that John was it O'Connor? O'Connor? I don't. Know. Anyway, uh, what happens is is these uh, these hapless travelers, uh, the scientists in the show, played by John Reese Davies, invents this device where they can travel between dimensional Earths, but they get stuck. They can't really they can't really focus where they want to go. It's not like you know getting in the car and driving from your home to Walmart. You know, getting a whatever you need and then coming back. They just they're randomly going to different planets, uh, and then every once in a while they'll come back to their origin planet. But they they encountered Earths that are you know 1930s. They encountered Earths that were you know 200 years in advance, like you know Star Trek level advance. But the Earth when they get to them, it's still the same year. It's just the level of advance is different because of the dimension that they go to. And it was I, I thought that was a really neat concept. It's the same year on a different Earth in a different dimension within this galaxy, universe, whatever you want to call it thing. But they're a thousand years, you know, in the past, you know, they're, they're, they're cavemen still, or they're a thousand years in the future and they've left the planet and they've, you know, conquered thousands of different planets. Um, neat, neat concept. And I, I wish that's true, but right now for us, it's just theory. It's on paper only, <laughs> but I believe it to be true. Well, what's really exciting about this moment is that, <clears throat> We are, more and more people are thinking in multidimensional terminology, multidimensional experience. The fact that we can even have a discussion of parallel Earths at simultaneous time. It's not necessarily good for some kind of intellectuals here. It's because we are morphing, we're mutating from, you know, rather mundane lives. I mean, as a, as a healer and a counselor for people, 20 years ago, my the, what I was hearing mostly from people was, I need help in my relationship. I have problems with my job. Now people are, are, are coming to me with questions like, I, I want to understand the meaning of life. I'm trying to understand if I'm, if I'm, from, I'm from a star traveler. It's very interesting to see how we are evolving in spite of the insanity of our big world or the outer world, we are evolving to issues that are much more profound that have to do with uh, our existence and the rising multidimensional awareness of the human race. No, obviously not the entire race, but many more people are awake. And that's very exciting. And we are we are asking questions that are bigger, much much bigger than were twenty years ago. And what, what what was your uh, opinion on the perception of five D? And I know a lot of people, I guess, say they are that. I, I don't for sure. I would think five D would be floating out of here, right? I mean, what's your perception on that? You know, Jeffrey, you and I have a very different perception about a lot of things. It's it's delightful to hear you say things, uh, Mike. You know, I don't want to criticize or offend any, anyone, but my question to the 5D people is, if you're in 5D, why are you still in 3D? Why are you still using the computer to talk to me? Why are you typing into a box? I don't understand the idea that you've evolved into another dimension, but you're still operating as a human being. So obviously these people mean that they have a spirit ascended to a new consciousness but uh, my understanding of dimensions is the 
of what's the word I want? The dissolution of matter, material density. So that the more the higher, if you want to call it higher, dimension that you you reach, the less matter density uh, you you coalesce. Does that make sense? Yes. And I know in your book, there's a chapter about the, uh, so goes the reptilian reign of Terra. Is that just basically the reptilians? I mean, sorry, you're frozen. Uh oh. Can you hear me? Everyone Looks just like froze. Am I frozen? No. Patricia? Am I frozen? Patricia's frozen. I'm not frozen. Patricia's frozen, but yeah, I'm she froze out. I thought she, she, she thinks she was saying I was frozen, then she froze. But there she goes. She's back. What? You were both frozen. <laughs> maybe okay, some, we're back. Maybe some internet trouble. What can you tell us about reptilian reign of terror? The reptilians really, I don't think they're all bad because that's kind of like genocidal. Oh, I disagree. Every reptilian's bad. There's got to be a few. There's like, there's even one in Buddhist that helps like the Buddha with the heads and stuff so it don't rain on him. So I'm not going to say they're all bad. That seems like genocidal, like Hitler speak or something. So, the, I mean, the way, the way, here's how I see it, Jeffrey. There's, there's two distinct different species of them. And I think the reptilians that we are encountering now may have left this planet a few million years ago, uh, possibly an evolved species of dinosaur that became sentient, uh, hominid shaped, and then entered the galaxy and is now coming back. But I think they left some of their civilization behind, and there are some tales of an underground civilization of reptilians on Earth, or rather under Earth. Um, I would not be surprised if that group of reptilians joined us in a fight against the external threat of reptilians who are traveling to us from Draco um, constellation, but that's how I look at it. Dr. Tor Tori, and I know he pisses off a lot of people, but he said there's some good good golden ones that are from Draco or something. Who knows? I'd like to think that, you know, like not like, you know, every Bigfoot's not evil. I'd like to think, you know, every reptilian's not. I could be wrong. Yeah, but, you know, it could be one of those things like, you know, we hate the Russian government, but we like the Russian people. You know, maybe the Draco uh, reptilian uh, people who are in charge, the the nobility, the, the ruling class, whatever you want to call them, the government, they are the ones I think to fear. Maybe they're civilians and citizens aren't, but if their government is that aggressive and, um, I mean, they're here to, you know, basically take over our planet and steal our stuff, but we, how do we know it's our planet? You know, I mean, were we deposited here from another planet? I mean, are we half, half breeds of native beings and extraterrestrial beings? You know, we don't have those full answers yet, so. Yeah. Well, let's consider for a moment that what if these beings perceive the, that that have been here well before human beings, homo sapiens, and therefore perceive us as an alien species. I'm just throwing this out. And that we were supposedly seeded here. So in essence, we are alien to this planet. And so they see us as cancerous, invasive species. Does that make them evil for wanting to get rid of us? It's a it's a philosophical question I'm asking here. 
not if it's not their plan. No, if it's not their plan, they have no, they have no dog but in the fight. What if it is their plan and it's not That's our thing. We don't know. We, I mean, th this planet is four and a half billion years old. We, 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 we can't discount the fact that there may be multiple uh, civilizations that uh, developed on this planet left by some means, either through extraterrestrial help or developing their own space travel, and, and may at some point want to come back to their home. We don't know. We can't prove that this is our right. idea. I was born on this planet, but did our species originate here? There's speculation we may have came from Mars. There's speculation we may have come from the fifth planet that's just outside of Mars, which is now the asteroid belt. Uh, we don't, like I said, we don't have the full information. Once we get that information, then we have better, you know, uh, better answers. But at, at the at the way that things are going right now, it it looks with the evidence that I've gathered over the time, we're not native to the planet. And the only reason why I say that is if you look at all other mammals, all other mammals except for like the hybrid ones, like chihuahuas that are that are hairless and the hairless cats and the hairless dogs, every native mammal on this planet is covered at least ninety percent by fur thick fur to keep them from being burned by the sun. We have none of that. We have a little bit of hair in our heads. We can grow beards, some of the males, and we have, uh, depending on your, your genetics, you either have very hairy arms or not very hairy arms, uh, which exposes our skin to the sun. Hey. So that indicates we may not be from this planet. What if they put us here like chickens? To like eat us later, like just throw us here. Like this, this could out. be this could be their microwave. This could be where they they raise us. And get, no, you're just, you could be absolutely. This could be the fattening farm where they raise us up. They they heat us up with a, with a, with an incubating sun, and they feed us all kinds of delicious foods and things that are addictive, like sugar and cocaine. You know, how do you control a population? You 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 control the things they love: marijuana, beer, nicotine, and sugar. Sugar you can buy anywhere without having to show up an ID. But everything else you have to show an ID for. Cigarettes, beer, and marijuana, you have to buy at the dispensaries that sell those things with an identification. <laughs> it's always interesting. I know there's that guy from Reptoids, I forget his name, .com or something, about thinking about a planet that had dinosaurs where they didn't all get wiped out or some think they survived here and could have evolved. But imagine another planet where they could have existed and they didn't get wiped out. And what would they turn into? Probably rep Reptoids. End of the law. There are several stories throughout the UFO community over the years I've encountered. One of them is a pretty famous one where um, <clears throat> a guy was taken from Earth uh, in an abduction story where he wasn't, uh, he, he didn't encounter lost time. So, in other words, I, I don't think they messed with his memory. Uh, however, they took him to a planet that was in the dinosaur stage. Um, and he swears by God it was definitely a different planetary system because it had either more planets in our system or less planets. I don't know how he knows for sure, but he was fairly convinced by what they showed him was a living planet of dinosaurs. And then later on in the 70s, there was a story that uh, some of the ETs that are, have been visiting uh, places like uh, Area S4 and um, secret bases like uh, Area 51, uh, they brought footage of our planet during the dinosaur stages to show us what our dinosaurs look like uh, before they were wiped out by various um, means that sometimes were done by the UFOs themselves. So fairly cool stories. I think that it's, we need to be very careful that we don't get so hung up in the Star Wars mentality uh, that we see uh, everything as a Star Wars battle 
galactic battles uh, between species, or I, I don't know that we'll be able to evolve into a, 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 a civilization really prepared for complete um, immersion into a, a more galactic um, existence. We, I mean, we have the battle, the battle, constant battle. And so you know, we're just positioning ourselves now into the battle from the battle of war everywhere all the time to now the potential of war, the galactic uh, constant Star Wars uh, scenario. And I just think we need to start thinking a little bit more um, galactically as far as, first of all, are we ascending into higher dimensions? And will that even be relevant as far as physical beings fighting for territory? Um, and if not, if we're, if we're just going to be moving from one physical reality to another, does that look like another planet? I, mean, I don't know. I, I just think that we, we've been fed so much Star Wars information that we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in the drama of it. What is a Syrian simultaneous time and how do we activate that or stay within those, those realms? Well, according to the Syrians, that's what this is moving into the fourth dimension. We, you know, I'm having a lot of things occur to me occur that don't make sense at all. They're not psychic events. They're not clairvoyant experiences. They're not deja vu. It's time slipping a lot. And a lot of people are reporting this. And I've mentioned a couple of these in the book. I feel that we are not, still mentally not prepared to even perceive what it would be like to have no time, to be in nowness. How in the hell would that look? But if you think about it, time is, is disappearing. Have you, do you not have this? Seems like it's going by fast. Man. Yeah, I mean, last year went by so quick. This year is going by just as quick. I mean, we're already at the second month. I mean, it seems like just yesterday it was 2023, uh, literally. I mean, yeah, you know, it just seems like a breath away from when we were hearing about uh, when 2024 comes, that this is going to happen. And it's like, poof, we're here. It's already February 2024. Where did January go? It's bizarre. <laughs> And this is simultaneous, the, the idea that we're moving into a timelessness, which is, like I said, because we're, we're, we're creatures of time, it's very hard to perceive of this. And yet it's being shown to us every day. I live on an island, like I told you before we got on the air, in the middle of the, excuse me, Atlantic Ocean. It's called the Azores. It's Atlantis. And... There, it's a farming island, a lot of uh, farmers here. And even the farmers here who are in one with the earth and sea and the cattle, a lot of cattle, dairy farming here, they tell me the animals are acting differently, the time is, is off, they can't get their handle on why. Are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Why? Yeah. Uh, 
the, his camera off. <laughs> there, the mornings are different. Everything seems to be shifting, and even the farmers, and these are grounded people, right? They're not, you know, metaphysicians. They're noticing a shift in the time, and I think that that is extremely important. And I think that that is a reality of all the things that we're facing right now. This shifting time is very, very important, and it's a big, it's a big message from the the information that I've yeah, I yeah, I think we're I think we're experiencing some sort of the way our either our arm of the galaxy is in sort of some sort of uh, time dilated piece of space, or we're we're nearing some sort of Whatever anomaly, a magnetic anomaly, or something, it seems to be making uh, time speed up. So this is something we 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 know exists. That uh, you know, it, time dilation is like they they send they, they send up a watch, two watches, one that stays here on Earth and one that goes up in the spacecraft, and it can be attached to a monkey's wrist or an astronaut's wrist. And when they go up, and it doesn't matter how long they go up for, um, an hour, twenty minutes, or just straight up and come back down. If they go straight up and come back down, and usually I think it's seven or eight minutes. Uh, time difference between the two clocks, even though they were just calibrated and turned on at the same time and then sent up into space. So I think this maybe what's that's what's happening to us now is some sort of time dilation where our our years and days and months go by faster. Although time clicks by at the same rate here on Earth, it just seems faster. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but that's that's how it, I mean that's what yeah. it seems like. I love that term you use, time dilation. I've got to remember that. That that really spells it out. You know, oh, it's an, yeah, it's an actual term. They actually use that for you know, like I said, if they, when they were doing the the uh, um, especially the Mercury and um, Apollo missions all the way through all of those Gemini, Mercury, Apollo, they had synchronized times on the on the on the devices. Everything that went up with the creature had a had a clock on it that was synced to a clock on the Earth. And when that clock returned to Earth, it was not in sync with the one that it left from. So that we experienced that. We know it exists. So it, that's probably what we're happening is happening now. Is our solar system uh, revolves around something within the center of the galaxy, and as we move away from that, time slows down. As we move closer to that, time speeds up. So I think that's probably what is we're on a we're on a swing where we're moving closer to the shapely center of our galaxy, which is we think is a black hole, um, but was a, descri a described and theoretical thing by a scientist named Shapley uh, back in the fifties or forties even. Um, so that's probably what's going on as we're heading towards the center of the galaxy. Well, two things I'd like to add to, to what you were saying is one, that's reminiscent of the Philadelphia experiment when they brought the craft back in, they couldn't fit it back into the right time slot, which is why uh, there was such mayhem. And it was the, it was a, it, uh, the, the experiment of the ship coming back, it seemed to not fit the space-time continuum. Uh, which is way over any my understanding of anything of physics at that time. But uh, I, no, actually, I can I can explain that. So so what happened with the with Eldridge? So the ship is here when it disappears. Then when it comes back, it's the the ship should have been here, but when it comes back, it's just slightly. It's on a different or behind it when it, when it fused together. Yeah. Uh, men who were on the new ship are now finding themselves inside of bulkheads, between floors, um, and in some cases not even on the ship. Because uh, some some of them did not even return. There were I don't know how many total missing, but um, of all the men on the boat, uh, at least five or six never are reported seen again. Yeah. 
poor people. Can you imagine? Yeah, and then most of them died. So I mean, yeah. it's a very dangerous experiment. Uh, yeah. Good movie too. If you don't know if you've seen the movie with Michael Pere, uh, it's fairly fairly decent. Uh, I, I don't know how accurate, but fairly close to what was described, but a little more Hollywoodized, if you would. You know, and we also want well, to remember the the in some in one of my earlier, I think the first book, we are reminded that time is an illusion we take for granted this illusion but just bear in mind that it takes eight minutes for the sun's light to reach the earth so that we're already living in an, an illusion of time mm -hmm. and when we talk about the stars and the pleiades are they still there how long some is of them that aren't. some of them are uh, we, we could be looking at some of the data coming from that light we, we collect with our telescopes and other other sensors and data collectors we might see an advanced civilization that's on par with ours, you know, in 20th, 22nd century level exactly. technology. And then we get there and they're either all gone, dead, destroyed, or, the, or gone, uh, the they're gone. so far advanced that they're like, you know, flick us off their back like a flea would off, of, like a dog would off of its back. You know? So I, you know, it's so, it's so tough to describe some of the stuff to, to normal people because we most people's brains cannot fathom uh, the, the lengths and distances and time frames going from star to star, even just even our galaxy alone. Uh, the, 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 the amount of energies needed to go from here to there, not that they're not available, we know, we know that it's possible, but most people's brains cannot fathom that kind of distance. I mean, like you, you, you tell someone about a mile and they have their concept of it, but when you stand that same person up on a, on a you know, platform where you can see out one mile, and he has them to pick where the mile point is, none of them will get it right. Not one single person will get one the mile. Maybe a That's few train observers, like a few plane operators, maybe guys who drive a truck every day can, can spot it, but most people can't judge distance at all. Right, but Jay, that the problem with that idea is it's based on three-dimensional physics that is the point A to point B, and the distance it traverse is based on 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 a three-dimensional perception, but what if point A is here and point B is here, and you can zip through? Okay, we're not talking about folding space. We're just talking about the, the distances between the light reaching here, which is what you're talking about. That's what I was saying. Is that our perception of it as a species? It doesn't. Most people can't contemplate it. Because like I said, we see light from a, a distant star. Doesn't matter which star, pick one, and we see dinosaurs. So we're like, oh, cool. Let's go to this planet. It's got dinosaurs. We get to that planet, and then all of a sudden, we find there's a civilization that's as advanced as us, maybe even more advanced as us, and, and they take us over. So it, the perception isn't on how to get there. The perception is, uh, is it a good idea to go there? Are we seeing the correct that's data? And, and yeah, that's, the only that's... way, the only way to get the correct data is to send something there to get the correct, like what's happening now, and send that back to us. In a, like, if it were, a, you know, a delayed eight minute thing from the sun, that's awesome. That's only eight minutes old data. That's helpful. But when the data is billions of years old, uh, it's basically, it's nonsense. It's worthless to you. It doesn't Unless make sense. to get to it. Yeah, I mean, it, by another, the time you do get to that data, it's already gone. That's the thing, that's what I'm saying. So whatever, whatever you see on a star that you want to go investigate, by the time you get there, it's already gone. Even if we did have interstellar travel, faster than light travel, which is allegedly we do, um, 
you're talking about uh, going to places that uh, uh, who was it that said it was it Stephen Hawking, not Stephen Hawking, the guy that just recently passed away. Yeah, Stephen Hawking. Uh, he said that it may not be a good idea for us to go looking for extraterrestrial intelligence. He says that we may find something that we don't recognize as intelligent life, but that is some sort of artificial intelligence that when we do discover it would be like the example he used was us versus the Indians of North America when the Europeans came across and conquered the North American con continent. For us, it didn't go so good for the it didn't go so good for the Indians. But in the example, the Indians didn't come looking for us, right? We went looking for these intelligences, and it may not be such a good idea. We may find intelligences that uh, find us repulsive and want to destroy us. We may find others that want to conquer us and use us as food, as Jeffrey said, or uh, we could find that it's uh, extra-dimensional beings that are coming back to, to get some sort of uh, minerals or devices they don't have in their dimensions to fix whatever problems they've got going on. So there are so many. many the, the, the ball of twine is so thick that it's – I don't know if any of us will ever get to the bottom of any of this. I don't know if disclosure is even a possible thing. Uh, there's so many different twists and turns and paths to these stories. Well, like I said, I believe this has been about raising consciousness, and I've had experiences with positive beings that seem to help me get interviews with people that I'd never thought I'd interview, like back in the day. And even sometimes now I can say a prayer and get help like that. So there's definitely something there. It's about raising consciousness. So I don't try to get too into the, the fear stuff, but I think that's a part of it. I mean, I've interviewed Travis Walton, and he's with uh, Thomas Reed a long time ago. And asked about fear, and uh, Travis Walton has said that said that if you take away the fear, it'd be a walk in the park. You know, it wouldn't be so horrible. But uh, but from the experiences of you know getting interviews and then having a UFO sighting that led to being on the radio, and then next thing you know, you you know talking to Stanton Friedman and all different people like that. There's definitely something here that has our best interests. That's why I like the conversations with God, Neil Donald Walsh stuff so much. It seems like he's talking to some kind of positive something that seems more uh, comfortable to get to know God wise than some of the stuff we see in religion. That's for sure. So that's why I was caught up in this mentality that you're seeing everything as as war, as a, as a confrontation, and uh, that contemplating there there needs to be there is for me and I, I think there's for you too Jeffrey um, a, a curiosity that is primordial of wow we we will probably have this realization this materialization in our lifetimes I think that you know going from eight million sightings a year to confirmed real uh contact i think that this is this is something that i i hope this is something that i'm going to see in my lifetime and i um it could be it could be bad but it could also be who knows who knows what it awaits us i do believe and it's my experience that we have beings from other realms that are trying to oversee and assist the human race. Mm -hmm. and yeah. You know, I also want to say, uh, Jeffrey, another thing that you said that is also my experience is uh, being able to contact craft and have them interact with me. 
So I have proof because I was in Egypt one year. I had 50 people on my trip and I had uh, reserved. I used to do trips like Egypt by night where I'd go to all the temples and get them open for us at four in the morning. So we were the only ones there. It was extraordinary. And we were at the Hatshepsut temple at four in the morning with 50 people. And I had a private ceremony. We had guards with submachine guns the whole bit because that's where they had the terror, so-called terrorist attack. And I've got the people on the top floor and, and I was leading a meditation and I said, stop, open your eyes and look up. And this light went on in the sky and it started to move across the horizon. And somebody said, oh my God, what is that? And a few people said, it. oh, it's the space station. And I go, I had no space station. And this thing did a 90 degree turn and it continued on. I go, that's craft, baby. Let's send it, in, let's send it love. And they started to dance and do circles. It was because 50 people experienced it together, it was something else. And when it got to the other side of the horizon, we were jumping around, everybody was all excited. And I go, they're not done yet. Bing, another light on. Starts doing these 90, 90 degree uh, maneuvers across the horizon. And so that playfulness, that interaction with uh, human consciousness for me was a very exciting thing. And I, I think that we may be just looking for, toward uh, an extraordinary experience. I also think that there could very well be ETs that are gonna battle it out, good and dark, and have nothing, not even touch us. But- we, uh, we have, Yeah, we got plenty of information on that too. Uh, there's the uh, famous, is it 1516 or 1615, 16, somewhere in that uh, time frame in Europe, somewhere between the 15, 1600s, there's the, a woodcut uh, of something that happened, I believe, over Austria. And they have like various different symbols in the air, circles and squares and plus signs and X's uh, with various different things going this way and that way of a battle in, you know, just above the city. Um, and there's there's several different uh, uh, art pieces like that of, of uh, I'm not familiar dueling with overhead uh, objects. <laughs> they, and but they are very they're very similar to the stories that you get in the Indian texts, uh, you know, Mahabharata and other such things of like floating cities sending beams of energy at each other and you know devastating entire uh, cities on the ground at the same time. Um, and of course, we have the modern day information of craft that uh, hover over uh, our silos and deactivate uh, weaponry. Yeah. So in some cases, activate, some cases, deactivate. In, in what usually happened in the, in the Cold War, the 80s and 90s, since 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, Russian equipment generally turned on, aiming itself at American targets. And uh, American operational equipment usually went non-operational and sometimes at the same time. <laughs> so, so like their missiles are getting ready to launch and our missiles are getting shut off and both sides are going, what the, you know, what the next word is. <laughs> yeah, Robert Thalassol, and he's got a whole book about that. And he's still like enlisted, I think, or was. And when he wrote it or something, that was kind of. And they're still doing it. I mean, it still happens. Now, our weapon systems we have today, we have weapon systems that aren't uh, public knowledge right now that they're all over the country, all over the planet that we are controlled, that no one knows about, that are that, that same thing is happening to those same systems. We have no way to stop it, no control over it. 
I wish they would turn off the weather wars. I mean, as far as weapons go, I think that the, the most powerful weapon they've is what is the manipulation of our weather systems. Also because they don't understand how fragile this earth, re well, I don't think the earth Oh no, they absolutely do. Um, allegedly the CIA has a, has a gun that uh, is, is either seismic or sonic in nature. I think somehow it's it's uh, it's a subsonic uh, device that we, we our ears can't hear. Probably dogs could, I would imagine, but it allegedly is somehow is able to create uh, fissures in the plate of whatever they're they're shooting it at, uh, so they can create uh, localized earthquakes. Oh yeah, um, look at that. I mean, they, look they at can crumble the buildings if they focus it above the ground. They can crumble a building within a few moments um, just by using this thing. And allegedly, this is this came out of technology that I think my father might have been involved in. I can't, I, I can't say it's just speculation. He didn't speak about it, but uh, the Navy, which my dad was a contractor for, in the when he was active with them, had all kinds of stuff going on, 80s and 90s, with uh, uh, some sort of weapon being used underwater that was beaching whales, dolphins, and other, uh, let's just say, sonically gifted mammals. I talk about that in in my books as well. The towers. And I, I, I actually, I have a one book called uh, "Before We Leave You: Messages from the Great Whales and the Dolphin Beings," that goes into great length of, of their telling us what exactly is being perpetrated on, and uh, they're they're ramping it up. They're putting in many more towers now in the, uh, the under underneath the sea. And I, I also believe there are a lot of colonies of ETs under under the water. Oh yeah, there are there are several species of uh, aliens underneath the oceans. There's at least four on Antarctica. Um, there's probably about a dozen on the moon, but only a few of them are actually active. Most of them are uh, scared to death of the the really big powerhouses like the yeah, the reptilians and the uh, the Zeta reticulans and so forth. Um, I'm I'm not entirely convinced that this planet is 100% under our control. I don't think it ever has been. I think that's the illusion. Uh, I think once that illusion is wiped clean, um, that's the new era. Well, that'll be the new era once we realize or find out that the possibility that we are are and have always been under the control of an alien government that is centered somewhere else in the galaxy. That that I think one thing, if that is true, that's going to shock more people than it won't. I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that has anything to do with religion. I think that's gonna shock just everybody, whether you're religious or not. Uh, just the fact that, oh my God, we've been under the control of aliens for how, hundreds of thousands of years without our knowledge. That kind of feeds into the Lynn Caston thing, and I'm not sure I agree with all that, but basically that the, the Nazis had a reptilian type situation, and yeah, uh, and they still remain in control of this day in weird ways. And he gets into it in a lot of deeper ways, but I'm. I think there's something to it. I don't know for sure. It is alleged by me and other people that the United States is actually the fourth Reich of Germany. That you know, particularly with the uh, with the uh, importation of all those gentlemen from the paper, paper uh, Operation Paperclip, where we expunged their war criminal records, not war records, war criminal rec criminal war records. These guys had. Um, I'm sure if everyone knew what what uh, Warner von Braun did. He was one of the inner circle. I mean, he he hung out with Hitler a lot of the time. Uh, he's part of the the final solution. People don't realize this. Uh, he didn't develop the chemicals that they killed millions of people with. 
but he developed the jets and ovens and other means to concentrate these gases so they were more effective in killing these millions of people they killed. He is no innocent person by any means, and he got us on the moon. I know there was a, one thing I was going to say a, a long time ago. I had a dream where I woke up, and there was a UFO taking dolphins out of the ocean, and the, the dolphins seemed they were happy about it, like singing. And I woke up like, what the hell is that? <laughs> that's a weird one. That's, that's uh, a proposition that was brought up in uh, Star, uh, Star Trek IV, uh, Voyage Home, where they go backwards in time yeah, wearing whales forward in time. I just love that. You know, great, it's, it's a great. They had to do a funny, uh, lighthearted movie because the movie before that they just killed Spock, so you know, and brought him back to life. So, <laughs> so they yeah, had was, to do a funny one. Every um, movie when they come. Um, here in, where I am, we have the most uh, variety of uh, cetacean species on the planet because of migratory routes. Of the location of the of the islands and the uh, purity to a certain extent of the waters here, and several people have seen craft jet out of the water here. I mean, reliable people that you know say things to me like, "Did you see what happened last night?" And you know, it's a, people that don't really having a similar experience. Very interesting. So it may very well be that we've got uh, underwater colonies not far from here. Yeah, there's speculation that the octopus and it and many of its species are not from this planet, um, somehow seeded from another uh, section of the galaxy and, and or perhaps even another galaxy or even another universe. Who knows? Uh, there's no telling. Uh, I, my 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 favorite example of life at the bottom of the sea is is the Trieste is the the Trieste experiment. Did you have you ever heard about that? No. In 1957, 1958, several scientists, including Jacques Cousteau, who is a renowned uh, uh, marine biologist, by the way, um, several several scientists, I mean, not just marine biologists, but engineers, uh, submarine designers, um, they, just all kinds of scientists got together on this bath escape project, which they named the Trieste. The, the submarine they built was called the Trieste. And um, they they speculated that they were, they were going to find something at the bottom of the, the ocean. Half of the scientists said, no, there's no way. We can't, we're not going to find anything. It's, it's just the water's too, there's too much pressure. There's no light. There's no warmth. There's, it just, we're not, we'll find nothing. It's just death. Um, and then the other guys said, well, we'll find something, bacteria, virus, maybe a virus or two. Um, we're going to find something down there. Uh, when they get down there, what do you think they found? Octopus. They, no, close. They found a bony fish that was very similar to, if not an offshoot of a sole or a flounder, a flat one-sided fish. I mean, like the eyes are on one side of its body. The other side is like white and flat, but all the organs are on this side. Um, they found one of those and it, and it kicked up so much silt that they could no longer see enough to navigate in this chasm. Uh, they decided to end the trip early. But from that example, that experience, 1958 is when that when thing went down at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, found this bony fish eight miles, eight miles underwater at the bottom of the ocean. It opened up a whole new realm of science. And we, we now know of and I don't think we even had speculation of these creatures back then, but we now know of extremophiles, which creatures at the bottom of the ocean would be considered 
being that it's almost impossible to live down there by most scientific standards. Uh, most of the waters down there are poisonous. The pressures are so great that most craft are crushed by the water pressure. Uh, there is no light, so most creatures have to create their own. There's no warmth, so most creatures have to hang out near volcanic vents, which produce poison. <laughs> so there are creatures down there that eat poison. It's just an amazing uh, environment that you wouldn't expect to be there. And then people can't believe that there's no that and people expect us to believe or they don't believe there's life out in the universe. You show them pictures of these creatures that we're finding at the bottom of our own oceans, and they're like, oh wow, that's so cool. What do you think about aliens? Oh, they don't exist. But look at the people that you hit in the back of the head with a two by four because you're pulling out your we're, we're we're at a time frame where every day they're pulling out most of the time dead a dead example, a dead creature. But a new species of fish almost every day from the bottom of our oceans with these experiments, with these deep water, you know, surveys. To me, Patricia, does the Syrians ever say anything about cryptids or Bigfoot or anything about those type, like their like heritage origins or anything? That would be interesting to know. Um, let me think. I know. Uh, I know you also get into alien bases and stuff, and I know we talked a little bit about uh, Bigfoot and Dogman, but I didn't know if they ever brought up anything like that. No, you always they, hear stories about hybrids and Zeus and making chimera, chimeras and all that weird stuff. I mean, they because you know they're extra-dimensional beings, they, talk, they do talk a lot about extra-dimensional beings and astral beings and... Uh, you know, there's a lot of they, they're concerned about CERN and the fact of, of what they're bringing. I'm very concerned about CERN, which is a fun. Um, I think that that a lot of critics are coming through CERN, interdimensional beings, and you know they do all those rituals there, those dark rituals. You've seen? Have you seen them? I've, I've heard. I've seen videos and stuff about it and things like that. And they talk, you know, representatives of CERN have said that they're trying to bring something through from another dimension. So I own CERN. What are they exactly doing there? And why isn't the human race rebelling against it? I'm definitely up to something. Uh, some yeah. of my being, one of my weirdest being encounters, I saw three cloaked beings in the woods with a friend and they were they were small, kind of looked like Jawas from Star Wars, but skinnier. You couldn't see their face, but there was a little black box in front of them. And uh, a cat jumped towards them and they vanished. And we had been partying and stuff, so we were definitely doing stuff. But, uh, but we both saw it. And we saw the cat jump towards them and vanish. And I know when I saw those, uh, I know there's controversy about Stephen Greer and stuff, but I know when I saw those little bitty, aliens that were little i was like is that what was in the woods that day like little and, uh, what happened to the cat remember that yeah I, I, you don't know tell us that it got hit by a car or something something like very that. next day right yeah, oh, wow. not, it was a little bit after that's creepy yeah but it jumped towards them and they vanished they i'll tell you what you know, there's all these people nowadays camping or or uh, tiny homing or motor vanning in the woods. And I'm thinking, you know, between the maniacs and the uh, fear condition and the potential for all these 
bizarre interdimensional beings. Because I think of what I think there, I do. I think it was you that said, Jeffrey, that they could be interdimensional. I think there's a very possible. It's a very possible thing that they are not simply physical beings. I do think that you know the the hundreds of thousands of Bigfoot uh, sightings are worth examining with seriousness. And I also think that uh, yes. There are plenty of animals that could be bears that are appearing to be big, but I, I, I just, there have been reports of people that have seen light craft and then seen these creatures. So I don't well, know. It, I there, about this. there is a creature in the, um, there's, there's several books. Uh, one that comes out of the Russian camp, one that comes out of the uh, American camp. Uh, the American Camp book is reproduced in, the, in a project called the what is the Blue Planet Project book, uh, which has allegedly a, a description of uh, some 80 or 90 member races of the, Gal the, the Galactic Confederation in this area. And one of those species, member species, is, and I can't remember the name of it, I'd have to look it up on, on Google there. Uh, one of those species is very Chewbacca-like, uh, a, a tall, hairy creature. Um, but of super intelligence, like like you, if you were to watch Star Wars the first time, your first impression of Chewbacca is going to be, oh, he's just a dog. He's not. He's actually a very capable engineer, um, mechanic, and pilot. Uh, so very tech savvy creature, but looks like something you'd see in a zoo, right? Uh, and that's what well, I think. That's what the uh, the confusion is here because there and the most recent video or descriptions of. Bigfoot disappearing or having some sort of energy cloak or stepping into a portal uh, and or being associated with a, a flying saucer are very, very recent and I think are more of a description of this creature that is a space traveling uh, super intelligent creature versus our, uh, I think, Australopithecus or gigant probably in America would be Gigantopithecus creature, which is Bigfoot. And that, that, I've seen that creature up close and personal. It is 100% right off the human track. It is not. Uh, it's not a. It's not a ghost, ghoul, goblin, or invisible creature that can travel through dimensions. It is flesh and blood, real as you and I. Jay thinks they're all physical. I'm on the fence with it, but I also think they could be physical. And then when they croak, there's a spirit that could be around. Well, that's us a, too. Then a quantum, a quantum level, the same thing with us. So. That makes or sense to me. Or it could be like Jay is saying, there could be this other, uh, there's so much potential for everything to exist. And we it try could to be catch the next villain of the Bible. You know, there's no talent. We don't know. know that, that there are interdimensional creatures that are drawn to, to the energy of Bigfoot that appear near or with them that aren't necessarily the same. I mean, anything's possible. There's a, this is. Now, we're in the twilight zone of reality at the moment. So, uh, but as we see the veil lifting, we definitely can feel this shift on this planet. The veil is lifting, and the CERN and other operations like that are doing their damnedest to make sure there's a, a slip through of uh, the astral and dimensional realities. So, you know, we're in no man's land here, and anything is possible. I think we need to keep our minds 
really open to the possibility that we can't categorize everything anymore because everything is anything is possible. When you've got the scientists of CERN saying that they're trying to bring things from another dimension, it, it, you, you need to listen. Yeah. We had a guy named uh, Will Murray on that. He was involved with Marvel and made some comic Squirrel Girl. But he's also a remote viewer in that Beyond Skinwalker Ranch had him in an exercise where he was getting all these remote viewers to look at it and they didn't use it or something for some reason, but he was on the show talking about that. So they're definitely up to weirdness with all that for sure. Bringing in remote viewers and stuff. I haven't seen this show beyond uh, Ranch. What's going on there? Well, uh, there's the show, the secret of Skinwalker Ranch, which is, uh, you're familiar with that one, right? At least. And beyond Skinwalker Ranch is like a spinoff of that show where they go to all these other ranches and similar stuff is happening. And wow. then they're like, they're like, these two guys used to work with the CIA. They're our investigators. Like, it's weird like that. Like, they even had that Chris Bledsoe that summons the UFOs. And he has that book, UFO of God, on Amazon that's about him summoning UFOs. And he's there doing it with these two CIA spooks and Colonel John Alexander. And he makes them appear in the sky and you can see the CIA dude's eyes get like saucers. And then they bring in like a neurologist and hook a thing to his head to see how he, you know, acts when he's doing it. Like it, it's, it's basically the same history channel show. It's just like a spinoff, but they're going to different ranches, Bradshaw. Like there's a bunch of different ones. It's good, but it's creepy because of the government. Like, I mean, they literally have Colonel John Alexander there, like with this dude summoning UFOs. That's creepy in itself. You know, that's really creepy. That did it. My mamia. Wherever the, the government is inv involved, trust nothing. Yeah. yeah they, I, they, are, they are well aware of many, many, many things. Um, but then, and that's. It, Part of what what you know I, I'm skeptical about the, the disclosure thing is uh, there are certain things they would eventually have to disclose, which in my opinion, if they do disclose them, and I don't think they will, uh, it could collapse the at least the United States government uh, because I do believe uh, we have somehow with one of our presidents or several perhaps presidents pre and post of the one who's alleged to have done this. Uh, entered into an exopolitical treaty with beings from another solar system, which would, and it not having gone through Congress would be illegal. So I don't think if, if that actually happened, the Griotta Treaty 1953, allegedly Eisenhower entered a treaty with the uh, greys, reptilians, and uh, uh, insectoid alien species uh, into an exopolitical treaty, and which would be illegal, uh, especially as uh, it said that he did it as president elect. He hadn't even been sworn in yet, so uh, even more ta taboo. Um, you right, would have but, to through Congress, so right. But there wouldn't be any Congress if, if, if an alien species said we we're going to deal only with your new world order hierarchy. Well, there, there wasn't such a thing then, but what, what I'm saying is they won't disclose this fact because. It was done illegally through the, according to the Constitution of the United States, if if Eisenhower actually entered into a, a treaty with alien beings from another solar system without going through Congress, it would be an illegal act. If he did it as president elect, he couldn't even do it. He'd have to wait until he was inaugurated, A, and then B, 
you would have to get Congress and the House of Representatives involved to create a treaty with an external government from our planet. And allegedly that has happened. I'm not understanding. So allegedly in 1953, Eisenhower entered a treaty with the alien species illegally. And they won't disclose the aliens because one of those facts is because of that. If, if that once that fact is disclosed, uh, almost every presidency from you know Eisenhower forward is debunked and devoid because all of that is unconstitutional from that point forward. Right, but do you think that there will be if if we have confirmation, quote unquote, of species? Let's say we've got craft arriving in six or seven capitals on the yeah. If, if they land, if they land on the White House lawn, there's not much we can say about it. But the United States government still will not reveal the fact that they have a treaty. If you've got craft landing in, in capitals all over the planet, I don't think that the Congress of the United States is going to be the problem. No. I think, uh, no I think it, you're right. It will, it will not. But if they, dis if they disclose that fact before, or if that fact comes out before uh, full disclosure, uh, it could collapse the, the government. And I think that's what they're afraid of is one of the things. And the economy, which they are. Oh, yeah, it would certainly probably hurt the economy very bad, yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What about some of the stuff that comes out of uh, exopolitics? There's, it seems, I'm not going to say it all seems like Amazon alien erotica. Certainly don't want to judge it all, but there's weird stuff like, I mean, at first, I didn't really, I didn't really know if I, I didn't believe the Obama time traveler going to Mars story or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was true. If it was, I'd like to see a little bit more evidence. But then I know Michael Sala, which I don't really have a problem with him. I watched the Kiwani interview he did, which was fun, which Kiwani does a lot of Bigfoot stuff, which I like. But he, he has some guy that he brings on all the time named JP that claims he's coming down to Florida in some special ops group and meeting with ant people and getting like weird tree of life seeds from them and weird stuff. It's pretty weird. So it's, it's just hard to, when you hear different things, I've heard the Eisenhower thing. I've had Laura on a million years ago, but uh, it's just hard to know what to believe anymore. I mean, that could be true. Maybe there is a special ops dude meeting with ant people down here, but I don't know. I'm just not going to buy it hook, line, and sinker. You know, <laughs> like well, the anthem they talk about by the Hopi as well. I mean, so it's not that's not very surprising. They talk about the, the, the ant people all the time in their um, just wish it was more past and present. He don't have any evidence, but he does like ten shows, like, and he's meeting with these ant people. It's like got to be some kind of evidence. Something. Sorry, I'm having trouble understanding what you're saying. He's meeting with ant people. Yeah. yeah ants like ant people like the i guess the hope he had some ant people or some crap like that yeah, uh but his name's jp southwest have those, those yeah. stories of ant like people yeah but and, uh oh, okay they're like people no but they're like humanoid insect, insects you know like standing like on walking talking insects you know <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just saying anyway, I have, this, these are these are these people's, you know, legitimate, you know, cultural <laughs> stories. They, they they swear behind. So Jay doesn't believe Bigfoot's ethereal, but he believes in there's insect ant people. <laughs> I don't believe it. Like, I, I expect it to be fat, to be honest with you. I, I mean, there's there, something to it, but I don't know if a dude's like going down and meeting with ant people in Florida, in Miami. <laughs> 
at the mall. No, I'm just kidding. He might be but a goof. I don't know. Never meant to do. I would just like to see a little. That's part of the problem with this, with this subject is there are there are and have been a lot of kooks. I mean, look at the, look at the interviews of the fifties. Listen, look at when the people they interview uh, in the fifties, they're absolutely nutcases. The thing is, we have a real problem identifying kooks at this point because we are experiencing things like interdimensional beings that are coming out of concern. What they're telling us they're doing, so hello, right? We're trying to bring something through another dimension. You know they're doing it. And so, so, like, as a psychic, I can tell you, I'm a clairvoyant, I'm a very clear audience. So when I hear somebody say over here and I, I look, you know, in the old days, I were, in fact, to even now, if there were any institutions, they'd lock me up because I hear voices, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now that there's, there's this merging of dimensions and, and this um, breakdown of the structural realm of physics that is our 3D realm, with things like God only knows what else they're doing, but with things like CERN, where they're you know they're pulling in, I think they're bringing in demonic energy. To be honest with you, well, um, they they might be trying to bring in some sort of you know ex, you know X element, you know some extreme element um, that's maybe extra dimensional in, in quality or something like that, which might be a bad idea. Uh, we we know for a fact they've proven you know Star Trek. Use that example again. Had the, the ship was controlled by antimatter, uh, a device where a type of matter is introduced with a type of antimatter, and it creates the energy that runs the ship. All those the lights are run by this power, the phasers and whatnots, and it travels through space and time with this device. Uh, it's not entirely uh, unimaginable that if they were to do that and bring something back from another dimension, perhaps an antimatter piece of uh, Fissionable matter, uh, Europe could explode. Like the whole peninsula could, and it's gone. They could destroy the whole planet. It's not a good idea. Whatever they're doing doesn't sound like a good idea, period. I'm not a physicist, but it doesn't sound like a good idea from my point of view. Interject uh, uh, with a concept that I think is important, especially since we're getting close to the winding down point. And that is out of all this wonderful conversation we've had tonight, and theory and perceptions, it's really important to stay grounded in one absolute because none of what we're talking about is absolute. But one thing that is absolute is we're leaving this planet, right? One way or another. (laughs) One way or another, sooner or later, we're so out of here. And if you're not grounded in an understanding, which I am that, uh, we're eternal beings. Uh, you're going to be worried about every freaking thing that goes down. If, and if, you, if, you, if you go back and look at any of the interviews, I think it's so important for people to really contemplate their immortality and to recognize that even if this place blows up or they blow up Europe or we have a fission moment, whatever. If you do understand and believe that you're an immortal being, none of it really matters. Because this finite amount of time here, what, 90 years, 70 years? And we're, no, nobody has figured out a way not to, to, to pass away. So we call it now 
ascension. We call it passing over. But basically, you die. You have a short time on, on a planetary body that is a three-dimensional construct, and then you die. And if you don't have a spiritual perception of, of the meaning of reality in your life, that's a very frightening thing because you're always in a state of angst about when that moment is coming. But if you do, which I do, thank God, and it's not a religious, thank God, but it's not a religious uh, understanding. Uh, I, I truly believe that we're souls in transit. We're here for a while. And, mm -hmm. you know, the next stop is going to hopefully be an, uh, a higher vibratory yeah. And we and we probably cycle through here several times until we get it right. Uh, I totally right. agree yeah. on that. Totally agree. I, I, really uh, believe that. I like that you say that people should should remain grounded, especially within their immortality. Uh, I, I think that might also be another reason why disclosure is another 10, 15, 30, 50, 100 years away. Uh, if and once we do become, you know, at least locally uh, inter within our solar system, you know, daily travel, like you can go to the Mars, to the moon, to any planet within a couple hours. Uh, Anyone who leaves the planet, even if they've looked through a telescope, I think once they get off the planet and get to the point where they can see Earth and the moon as an entity together, once they once your eyes see that vastness of space and what's beyond it, then I think everyone will have a better idea of what their immortality is and, and how, like you said, unspecial. Everyone should be special. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great to feel special, but the amount of people on this planet, there there are so few that are exceptional people on the planet. And those people we see on the news for a fleeting moment, 20, 30 years, and they die, just like you said. So <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a vicious cycle. But I think getting daily space travel, that is going to be highly, highly um, uh, it's going to ruin a lot of people's minds. I mean, it's a lot of people who are, even if they're not interested in space travel, just want to get out on a vacation and just see what everyone else is talking about. It could blow people's minds seeing the whole planet, all of Earth, all of the moon, uh, or being on, say, Jupiter and being able to see the moon, the moon and the Earth. It's only just a speck of light. May make the it, it, it won't be, yeah. It won't be until we can get out there and get to those different places, like a moon of Jupiter, or you know, go stand on Pluto and then look back on the Earth. Where's the Earth? You can't find it. You need that app. Where's the Earth? Oh, it's a little pinprick dot right over there. You know, that's when the revelation will come. I don't think before then, and that's part of the problem. Is it's till we have disclosure and daily space travel, people's people's groundedness and their immortality is going to be a only what they can perceive and that's here on earth that's a small small vision and we got about uh 10 minutes uh i always ask if we're uh light tadpole sperms from the sun and the sun's like a big frog because i have weird sun experiences that are really weird where it's like is the sun trying to like mess with me like it seems like it's like close and then i can close my eyes and let that white light feel it i've walked into buildings and seen like astral grays and weird stuff like that <laughs> the site or something but i know uh, uh patricia what about uh i know you talked about staying grounded and what is the ultimate key what are some ways that we can do that because to me every day just feels kind of like i don't know crazy are kind of painful lately, uncomfortable for a lot of people. 
and uh, uh, and and during all the virus and stuff that happened, it seemed like a lot of people and celebrities and just like people were dying off like crazy. Like there's just craziness going on. But what are some ways to stay grounded? Such a vast question, but I, I'd like to start by saying, as much as possible, get rid of technology. So I, I always get I run into you know, <laughs> resistance to this concept. But for example, when you're talking about movies, you guys keep talking about movies and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen any of these because I gave up TV 25 years ago. We're, we're kind of geeks about that, sorry. Yeah, and I'm like, I really do need, it sounds like I want to see that. But I, uh, I uh, years ago, during the time, oh, the professor that brought me into the crop circle, he worked with uh, Sony. And he told me stories about, about what's going on with the TV. And I just was like, you can't be serious. It's one of the reasons why I quit. And he said the flicker, which I write about in the book, the flicker in the set is deliberate. And the, oh no, that's book. I'm sorry. Uh, it's programmed into the television, a certain frequency a flicker that puts you in a pre, in a receptive, quote unquote state po pro very close to a hypnotic state within seconds and they did incredible tests for this this was no accident right uh to put people in a state of, of receptivity they would become almost trained and almost hypnotized not only by the messages and the programming but the frequency of the television itself right now, you add in this little puppy here, and people can't, I mean, they, they can't walk without it. They can't drive without it. They can't live without it. You, and you, you can't see a teenager it. walking through any public area not look with his face in it. The parents yeah. are, you know, I mean, you know I, the yeah. right behind him. You know, I don't know how yeah. the kid stays focused on the parents yeah. enough to follow yeah. them everywhere through the store. The other day I saw this family, this woman was glued to her phone and these, these little children, two children and a husband, and they, they were out for coffee at a cafe, okay? And these children are looking at her like, mom, mom. And she was like, <laughs> I was like, you seriously can't put that down for five minutes You're to be with your children? So you know, when it comes to talking about groundedness, it's really make a choice. And most people are making the technology choice because it's convenient. And it's like pretty soon they'll want that technology again. And people will do it because it's hip and convenient. It's so much more convenient to just go like this instead of looking, having to carry around this heavy phone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the best things I can recommend to people, and I do all the time, is start, you know, liberating yourself from this technology. So, you know, I have a phone because it's nighttime and I, I do keep it in the house at night because of in case of an emergency. But during the day, in a hidden location outside the house, I don't want the frequency in. I don't want to be addicted to it. And, you know, with speaking about being grounded, it's like check your addiction. If you can't do without it, you're addicted. So when I got rid of the TV, 25 years ago it was, I was like, wait a minute, 
because it I was in Italy and they there was nothing but garbage. Then they brought in Skype, uh, Sky TV, and it was your best movies in the history. Of what, did, what did they have in in, the, in European vacation when they were in Italy? It was like five channels of cheese and one was up government or <laughs> something like. The kids were losing it because there was no television in Italy. <laughs> For a while, I, I was hooked because I was like, well, there's no other option but this. And then one day I went, wait a minute, I don't pay. why am I paying all this money to be manipulated? It's crap. So I got rid of the TV. I barely ever use the phone. I use the computer, but you know what I do now? I put timers on because I realize I get hooked into it. If I if I if I'm on the computer for too long, I get hooked. So I put a timer on two two hours max, and then uh, I step away. And that's, so, part of, that's part of counseling nowadays. Is they they're telling families, especially you know, they have multiple kids and cell phones. You know, that pick a pick a room in the house, no technology. Like maybe have like the radio for like to listen to music or news or whatever. But when everyone's in that room, no cell phones. And most most families are picking like the dining room so when they they can sit down and eat and talk. I don't understand that concept because when I come to eat, it's it's not to talk, it's to eat. I'm going to eat. So you should pick a you should pick a social room, no technology. When you enter this room, there's a couple bucket. You put your cell phone in on the way in. You know, your way out, you can take your cell phone back. Right, right. It doesn't Even enter into this room ever. <laughs> if you're eating like this. Yeah. Right? At least if you don't want to talk, at least eat and enjoy the food. Be one experience of food. That's ground. God, most teenagers aren't, aren't don't realize how lucky they have it that, you know, early cell phones were not salad proof. Now they are. You can you can drop salad dressing on them and they won't spark in your hand and explode. <laughs> And you know, I don't, uh, I don't let people come in my house with cell phones. <laughs> I don't. So That's they're a like, good what, thing. Is what is your obsession? <laughs> oh, no, it's not an obsession. It's a choice. Well, I, I to laugh that. about all that frequency stuff, but I honestly do believe they use that stuff to zap us. And sometimes I'm, I had Robert Duncan on once, a guy that was for the CIA. He was with the CIA, and he made some kind of technology they stole to gang stalk people and hurt people with it and he came out as a whistleblower yeah they so, use it on what's his face in central america in the in the, in the 80s yeah, um, a weird, they disperse people in iraq with it they do all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff with it but i think they can do phones tracking your you know people say well i've got my phone turned off and i'm going you're on drugs your phone is pinging cell tower in every zone that you go so yeah. I keep the phone outside out of the house. And I, uh, these fictions to me are very grounding because it's like I am consciously aware of things that can deter me from being uh, at peace, sovereign, solid, relaxed. Yeah. I have all these uh, Shungite pyramids all over the house to deter first some of the some of the energies that are coming in. And you know these kinds of things are all grounding. My fiance Christina always has weird hand breakouts around her phone, like her hands will break out and weird stuff and weird reactions to it and things wow. like that. Well, uh, Patricia, it's been great. Uh, let's see. The book is the new Syrian Revelations: Galactic Prophecies from the Sixth Dimension by Patricia Corey. It's been great. We've loved it. Thanks so much. You, what's your site or any parting words? Important words. Don't take it too seriously. It's only life. Come on, lighten up, people. Amen. Those are my words. I mean, you would expect something a little more spiritually oriented, but 
you know, I think that it's really important to have a sense of humor here and just remember what I said. You're only going to be here for 79 years if you're lucky and um, make a game out of it, celebrate it, stop worrying so much. Either way, you're checking out one way or the other. And, you know, it would it's a crazy thing to go through life afraid of life. Mm -hmm. What a waste. Definitely. Well, we appreciate it so much. Thanks. It's been a great show. Everybody, you. you're listening to United Public Radio, 107.7 FM, New Orleans. We'll have Augie Nost here uh, next week. Everybody have a good weekend. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, Christina. Thanks, JoJo. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Good night. Take care. Yep. Bye -bye. Good night. Good night, everybody.